welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. This is Weaver Beyond the Numbers. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Cloud services, compliance, cybersecurity, these are facets of IT and technology that often run in the background of our day-to-day businesses. They work until they don't work. Trip Hillman and Kyle Morris of Weaver's IT advisory services say that's something we're all guilty of sometimes, the it just works mentality. Trip and Kyle will help shed light on the compliance challenges that businesses face and how informed clients make everything better all around. Hi guys, welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers. I'm sitting down with Trip Hillman and Kyle Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. All right, so you are from the IT Advisory Services. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, so inside of the, the accounting firm, there's the tax and traditional audit, and then we're part of the advisory team. And inside of that, we do the IT advisory work, which is based upon IT audit, as well as some other interesting advisory areas. One of the areas that we focus in is IT related to cybersecurity. And so with that, that comes a lot of compliance concerns as well. Um, and I primarily focus on our, in our PCI practice as part of our IT advisory, which is um, basically any company that stores, processes, or transmits cardholder data, uh, they have to achieve PCI compliance uh, based on their merchant bank um, and, and what requirements they dictate. Okay, so we are talking about this nebulous cloud. Um, I think a lot of people understand the concept, the basic concept of being in the cloud, but explain a little bit more about like what that really means for a business. Right, absolutely. And so one of the things that we find interesting is that a lot of times people nod along when they're saying the cloud. And yes, we understand that it's helping us achieve some portion of our business or our organization's goals or objectives. One of the interesting things that we find is that when we try to peel back those layers a little bit, that sometimes it becomes a little bit murkier as to to who's actually participating in that. And it may be more than one party. It may not just be one cloud stop provider, one one solution that's, that's a one-stop shop. There may be multiple parties that are playing a role in providing ultimately the cloud services that a, a organization or a, a provider offers. And this concept of shared computing resources or shared cloud resources and components has been around since arguably the 60s and 70s when you were leasing time on an old mainframe and we had multiple users that couldn't afford large portions of a mainframe and so you would rent time essentially. Now because of the infrastructure as well and the ability for clients to scale up, we're looking at people that are using a fractional system of a cloud offering and that way they're allowed access to or have access to components of the cloud and that way they can get it on, kind of on demand. The other area that, that may help with a client on is that it allows people to scale really quickly. And so whereas you used to have to stand up your own servers in your room, that allows you to have access that if you're a new startup company or if you're a foundational company that's looking to bring things in-house, you no longer have to set up your own very secure server room that has racks of equipment with rows of blinking lights. With just a web access portal, you can have access to some of the cutting edge technology and that way you're not having to spend your investment dollars on the startup cost of of building that out. It allows you to have access to the cutting edge materials and to really scale on demand as you need and see fit. 
And so that may be that, hey, today we have five servers, we have a thousand servers. If we need to, we can burst up to a million. If we think that due to our particular Super Bowl ads are running and we're going to have a peak weekend, we can ultimately scale by a hundredfold with the press of a button. A lot of comp- you know, companies, a lot of clients we have, you know, when we go in, they have their IT systems on site and they say, well, we don't have anything in the cloud. Well, at the end of the day, pretty much every company has something that's on the cloud, whether it's their website, their email exchange server, or they're using Box or some other, you know, cloud storage provider to store their documents. And so every, there's cloud considerations for every company. So the benefit is, is clear, but as far as the issues that come along with that, of course, there's security. So that's primarily what you guys are, are dealing with and, and helping to advise businesses on, right? Absolutely. So we're hopefully looking to help an organization understand their security posture and have visibility into that as well. Part of that comes through compliance and maintaining a compliance program that encompasses all of the company's assets, including those that are in the cloud. And so with that, that's where the visibility part comes in and then making sure that the portions that are not readily accessible, the pieces that they can't walk into the room and touch, that the the organization, the business understands where those are at and who the vendors are that are helping provide and achieve those services. And then, you know, in addition to the visibility, it's kind of a comprehension of, okay, what, what do we actually have out there in the cloud? Where it gets muddy is with cloud service providers, and we'll talk about these. There's different kinds. There's IaaS, PaaS, SaaS. Um, there's pretty much a as for anything, uh, it seems. But um, where it gets muddy is a lot of times when people put something in the cloud, they think if it just works, you know, they don't worry about everything else on the back end. Um, and so there's a lot of compliance considerations, security considerations that are uh, that companies need to take before they just push their 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 systems, their data to the cloud. Right. As PaaS and I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So let's let's break those down. So. SaaS is service as or uh, software as a service. Software as a service. Um, so tell me the, the others. Uh, so we have software as a service. Um, so when you have at your company like ADP or Paylocity, like so your your HR systems that you know you just log into a web portal, that's going to be your software as a service. Um, and then you have something called IaaS, which is kind of the traditional, uh, uh, I guess, cloud offering. It's called infrastructure as a service. And so it's essentially taking your IT systems. Um, and, and basically you're renting the physical machine in a bare metal instance, you're, you're, you're uh, renting those components to load on your operating system, your applications to those. Then in addition to bare metal, you have virtual machines. And so you're not renting a physical box, you're renting a, a piece of the pie on that box. And so in, in an IaaS environment, you're responsible for the operating system and above. And then they decided that you know when, when with IaaS, their um, folks don't want to have that responsibility. They don't want to have to manage the operating system. Um, and so they came out with something called PaaS, Platform as a Service. Um, and what that basically allows um, companies to do is their web developers, their, their developers, it allows them to build, create, and deploy um, applications, um, workloads, without having to worry about that underlying operating system and infrastructure. One interesting development that's happened with these different layers is microservices. And so we'll, we'll touch on this briefly and, and we'll have to come back to it, but con- containers or the thought of microservices is saying, hey, I, I don't necessarily need a whole web server. I just have a little tiny snippet of code that I need to run mm-hmm. for a moment or for a period of time, but I have a small snippet of code that I need to run rather than a whole application. And so containers and microservices is the further virtualization that we're seeing in the convergence 
and like much like we saw virtualization happen to the infrastructure as a service layer. So what would then be an example of um, the microservices and the containers? I think I think the easiest example is say Netflix for example. They're they're running you know one of their latest um, you know movies the uh, TV show Stranger Things. They released the new season. Everybody is going to want to binge watch that as soon as it comes out. And so the the problem with that is they're going from having you know you know a hundred thousand people watching now to over a million and simultaneously. And so the that was that became a problem because they couldn't scale up traditional infrastructure at quick enough. Sp- pace to be able to do that. So they came out with something called microservices and containers, which allows them to basically take the bootstrap, what exactly you need to run something and deploy it rapidly. And so it allows companies like Netflix or whoever's using microservices to deploy things at a rapid pace and then, you know, take them down when they don't need them. So like on a website, if there is a one particular piece that gets updated multiple times a day, uh, but then the rest of the site is more static, like would it be kind of as an analogy to that, that when you have a, a traffic spike or a big surge in traffic coming in, that's when you need that on-demand uh, cloud ability. But for the rest of the time, for the rest of the, the content, it's not necessarily needed to have that, that high level. Certainly. So scalability is obviously an, an area where containers can help meet that demand. And so if you need to have multiple web servers that are helping end users provide access to a particular type of content, you can go from five to 5,000 in relatively short order, and you can work that into an automated workflow. And so that allows it to take the human element out of it, and then that way we're not having to make human-based decisions. We've programmed logic in to say, hey, if we see a volume that spikes over X level, make Y number of servers available to our end users. Now, the other side of that is that we have to have the credit card to back that up because there's a, there's a cost associated to everything, but it allows allows for scalability to meet customer demand. So you you help companies uh, deal with their, their cloud services and understanding what all of that means, but what, what happens then when somebody has moved their stuff into the cloud? That doesn't solve all their problems, right? It's not just a, an instant fix. What are, what are the, the risks and the... Uh, I guess the myths and misconceptions that are associated with, I've moved my stuff up into the cloud. I've got all my problems solved. So a lot of times we see the it just works mentality. A lot of times there's a concept of as long as we've got whatever it is that we're trying to deliver to our customers or that we're using to achieve toward particular end goals, and as long as that just works, everybody's happy. We're able to make money. We're able to deliver service. We're able to achieve our objectives. The problem with that is that a lot of times Kyle calls it the easy button that, uh, you know, the silver bullet approach to it, if we don't take a further scrutiny and we don't go through the extra steps of due diligence, um, prudent measures that are necessary to making sure that we understand everything that we've just utilized, all of the building blocks that we've put together to build the product that we just delivered, then we run the risk of, of a compliance issue. And ultimately that, that, that compliance and security can go hand in hand for that. And so a, we could have an insecure service that's being presented, so a, a vulnerability that's present that, that would ultimately be a weakness in the present day or future, or it could be a compliance issue that, that would affect that particular service offering. So something where we're under a regulation or we're under a contractual obligation to meet a particular standard regulation or guideline. And so I, I think a lot of times this bites companies in the butt because their compliance requirements, especially if they're in like the banking sector or finance or healthcare or any type of you know, PII, personal identifiable information, 
they have stringent compliance requirements and laws that govern how they maintain that data. Oftentimes, though, the service providers they use, they don't have to fall under those same stipulations. So we had an instance uh, a few years ago um, uh, with a client who was trying to achieve compliance with a, um, with a third-party you know, certification. And this client, they used data from this third party to basically market to you know, uh, businesses and individuals. Um, and so because they were using that data, they had to meet this third-party compliance. And so we, we were tasked to come in there and, and help them meet, um, you know, give an attestation, give an opinion on, on this particular uh, certification. And the, when, as we were going through the process, we figured out that they have this service provider in the cloud um, who they use to move changes into their production environment. Um, well, it turns out that that third party, everyone, all of their you know, developers, administrators use one single um, administrator account, which is a big no-no in the okay. compliance world. You know, share, don't share access, segregation of duties. Um, but one of the requirements for this compliance objective was uh, that there can't be shared or generic accounts in the environment. Everybody has to have their own uh, unique account. And so uh, we, we figured that we found that out, and, and ultimately what happened was because that the service provider was doing that, they couldn't achieve compliance. And so they were at risk at losing um, their ability to get that data from the third party. And if, if that happened, I mean, their business was, you know, could go defunct. Um, Ultimately, we were able to find a solution and work with a third party um, and get an extension with this, the, the third party. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it could have been a sticky situation. I think that is also an example of how when, when people have the tendency to treat the cloud as a easy button or a silver bullet option for making sure that it just works, the other tendency is to become a little, a little bit blind to the components that make up that service. And so in the instances where we've talked about peeling back the layers, if, if we believe that a service provider is helping us achieve our end goal or objective, we may not be, we may not fully comprehend the components beyond that one vendor that are necessary to us achieving our end goal. And so the risk is, is that we think we have one cloud provider when really there's multiple other people that are making up that service for us that we're consuming and, and relaying or using as a, as a foundational infrastructure item. And so with that, it be- compliance becomes very murky and understanding when it asks, who are your third-party providers? We list one, but there may be actually many behind that. And so looking into pulling back the layers of who actually is helping us deliver our services and what are their environments like and how do their standards match up to ours? We're saying that, that they are part of our environment, but the concern is, is, is are our controls, are our security standards, are our reputation the same for that cloud environment. I'm just curious, how transparent are those different layers within? So when they list one vendor, but there's actually multiple, how evident is that usually to to the end client? So sometimes it, it, it just widely varies. And so sometimes people say, I think ABC is my provider. However, it turns out that there's ABC is supported by two other people. And then one, one of those other two is supported by another. And so the, the, tr- the trust chain can become extended very quickly Um, and so a lot of times it has to to do with how where the money flows honestly and so if you if you track who who we're paying as vendors and then probing on those entities a little bit to say okay vendor a how are are you delivering this is this solely done in-house or do you have additional components that are making up your environment they answer back well actually we use services b c and d and then it, it quickly becomes a web that we have to achieve 
whereas other other vendors and other providers are a one-stop shop where you you're able to get all of your services wholly provided from a single entity and, and the the compliance concerns become a little bit more focused on achieving defining what is the boundary and, and ultimately in all of the considerations with compliance cloud included the largest concern is defining the boundary whereas we used to say hey this is the business we're coming to your to your shop inside of this building we know everything is housed inside of this building payroll accounting marketing everything is inside of here now when we look at a particular environment all of the individual business functions that are necessary to achieve our objectives may be outsourced to a variety of providers and, and thankfully, I think we turned a corner a few years ago with compliance. Um, with service providers now, you're starting to see where traditionally compliance was this drudge of a requirement. We just have to do it because we have to do it, you know. Um, but now you're starting to see it as like a competitive advantage. And so you're seeing these service providers advertise, you know, we're compliant with these 20, 30 different regulations or um, third-party requirements. And so I, I think there's a lot more visibility into those you know, the service provider and then those subservice providers that Trip was talking about. All right, so we've talked about what the cloud is, and I'm really hesitating to, you know, pull my, my quotes here, my air quotes down, but what makes compliance really an issue when, when you're using or delivering cloud-based services? I, I think it really boils down to two things. It's comprehension of terms, making sure that we're all using the same vocabulary, and then visibility. And so comprehension of terms is understanding what exactly we've, we've bought or purchased or that we're relying upon. And so we, we like to use the term uh, extrapolation of fi five gold bars. And so understanding where, if you have five gold bars, where do those five gold bars reside? And where, where are they stored? Where, where can you go access them in a vault securely? If, if that's saying those are our servers or those are our cloud-based assets. And so that becomes difficult when we're talking about a fraction of a gold bar, or if I'm loaning you a portion of that gold bar. If I take one of those five away and I put it separate from the other four, then I, I can still access it, but now I'm having to keep track of more different components. And I may be, the locations may be different as well. And I may be spreading those five pieces out across different locations or, or ge geographic areas. And then if I say for these five gold bars, now I'm gonna divide them into portions. We're only gonna have fractional shares of these five gold bars and separate them out across different geographic locations. And it, it quickly becomes, from a security standpoint, of securing five gold bars is a very doable thing. But when we start splitting them up, spreading them out, distributing them across different geographic locations to make them available to a wider array of people, the security concerns and the compliance concerns that go with that escalate quickly. Right, right. And, and, and into that, you have to worry about visibility. You know, when, when you have the server in the closet by Fred's office, um, you can go look at it long, you know, if the lights are, you know, <laughs> flashing green. Yeah. Uh, they're not red. You know, you can touch them. You can log into them. You know, you can fix them. But when you start, you know, having, uh, when you go to the cloud and you have your servers, you know, dispersed across geographies, you're now more reliant on your service provider. Okay, these dashboards, these gooey, you know, pretty pie charts, do I do I trust them? Is what they're telling me is that true? You know, is 
Um, when it says this server is patched, does that really mean it? Um, and so that's where compliance comes into, po um, into play. You know, uh, with service providers, you know, they can always say, hey, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. But um, as they always say, you know, trust but verify. And so, you know, with service providers, you want to make sure they have some type of compliance reports for those services that you're, you know, you're using. Uh, so you can look at them and say, okay, you can get a little comfort that, okay, a third party came in and said, hey, yeah, they're doing A, B, and C, and D like they say they're doing. And I think the point that Kyle was making, I, I want to make sure that we don't miss, when we talk about understanding the components that make up the system and the visibility into them, we're trusting back to that piece of it just works. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that a dashboard may re be representing the particular servers, the server instances, or the fractional pieces of a server that you're accessing in a particular moment. When it comes down to something like, something simple like doing an inventory audit, how many servers do you have? That question used to be fairly simple in that we would just go physically touch and count all the servers that we had. Mm -hmm. Now when we have hundreds of servers, virtual servers, residing on one physical server, that becomes a bit more difficult. And when we can't even go inventory or query those things, we have to then rely upon third parties to represent to us how many different virtual servers or virtual components of servers, containers, microservices, things like that, are being represented to us as part of our inventory. Something as simple as conducting a simple count and building an inventory of our assets can be confusing if we're not clear on the terms and the visibility that we have into our assets. So comprehension of terms and visibility, those are two things. Uh, what are some of the other issues that come um, into play when you're dealing with compliance? Well, one of the challenges is that compliance is often five, ten years behind the technologies you know that exist today. And so you know, um, when, you know, virtualization was a big thing and that came out, um, all the compliance requirements were still talking about physical systems. And then they updated their, their requirements to talk about um, virtual machines and, and things residing in virtualized instances. But then containers came out. And so compliance is always five, five years, 10 years um, behind, behind the curve. Um, and so that's challenging because for organizations that want to adopt these emerging new technologies, a lot of times prescriptive requirements such as PCI, you know, there's, it's very specific on how you're supposed to meet something. Um, and so when, when these new technologies don't quite fit into those buckets, um, it, it provides a unique challenge for, for the company and, and the company's auditor to figure out, okay, how are we going to fit this, you know, square in this round hole? And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I think another issue that comes up when you have what a lot of times practitioners or service providers feel are archaic requirements being forced upon them is they have a fiduciary duty, a, a regulatory body is requiring them to, or a, or a contractual obligation, but there's a requirement that exists that says a clause somewhere, you must do X, and X may not be applicable, or they, the, a lot of times the service provider may, may feel that that requirement is frankly just outdated. And a lot, of, and it's not just service providers; it's people that consume the services as well. So a lot of times, if you if you're using a cloud service, and you are going through a compliance program, you may be looking at a, a list of requirements, and a lot of those you may feel are outdated. Mm -hmm. You don't have a voice as one to say this requirement is outdated. I'm not going to comply with it. That's not usually a viable option in the moment. And so oftentimes, we as practitioners have to figure out how to best apply the intent, the spirit of the requirement or determine the applicability of a particular requirement to the environment, including cloud, for a particular 
consumer of that of that information. What's that? And, and there's a I think there's a there's a funny one in I think in a NIST a NIST requirement that basically uh, that you have to protect against electromagnetic radiation. So things emitting from a CRT monitor, you have to protect that. So you know somebody couldn't you know read those those rays that are coming off and then see what's on the screen. And so it's something from, you know, the 80s, 90s that really don't apply today, but it's still a requirement that's written out. So if we think of that, there there are requirements that exist for old CRT-based monitors, which are the big, heavy monitors that we think of from office space. Yeah. And so those monitors that get smashed, there, there used to be a concern that if somebody had the right setup of expensive equipment and that they could set up in, a, in proximity to a, a monitor on the other side of a glass wall or, or partition, and they could sense the waves that were being emitted by that monitor and, and re make, a, make some, some viable decision based upon that information that they, they can glean from that. And so these are instances of where requirements may, may exhibit signs that they are a bit archaic and that it determines the difficulty comes with how do we answer that? Is it simply not applicable? or are we meeting the requirement because we don't have any CRT monitors? And so a lot of times these things come down to judgment questions where we have to really look at what is the requirement that's being asked? What is, the, what is a clear understanding of the end user's environment, whether that's a service provider or a consumer, we, ha we have to understand what exactly they have, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud, to be able to fully answer some of these requirements. And that's, that's what makes this a bit of a challenge. It, and oftentimes, depending upon your position, you're usually trying to present why you're meeting this regulation standard. It's, it's usually not just because you thought this was gonna be a fun exercise. <laughs> a lot of times it's because you have a contractual obligation or some, somebody is expecting you or forcing you to do this. And so when you answer not applicable or if you put an answer that maybe doesn't paint yourself in the best particular light or if you say, I, I just don't wanna do this, the answer's no. If you, if you rack up or if you have a certain number of, of answers like that, it also can beg more scrutiny from others. And so if you're presenting that report to one person, maybe maybe they look it over and they understand you and so they, they feel like, I, hey, I can read behind these answers. I can, I can understand or interpret this. But if you're giving that one report out to thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers, it, there's, there's a likely chance that all of those end users, all of those recipients are not going to be able to come to the same conclusion. They're gonna need more information. And so it sets yourself up for success to have a, as thorough and complete of an answer as possible. It would be like putting rounded numbers or ish on your um, income tax. Like, right. I make about this much. If you put the squiggly line next to about <laughs> all of your answers, yes, it's going to beg further scrutiny and question from, from whoever's receiving that. And we had an example of this um, a few years ago. We had a client who was trying to achieve PCI compliance. Um, well, they already had in, in previous years. And so um, they, they were this probably year two or year three, um, and this year they said, hey, we don't think this requirement is, is applicable to us anymore. And they made a case, and I was like, you know, we, we can get behind that. Um, now what happened, though, was all of their customers were conditioned to know that, hey, that requirement, that's on them, not us. Um, and so we issued the report that, uh, that that requirement, we said, you know, not applicable, here's why. Well, that ended up biting them in the butt, and they started getting calls and emails from all of their clients. They're like, hey, we rely on you guys to for this specific requirement. Why, why did you take it out? Um, and ultimately, we, you know, they were able to craft a response that, you know, um, that uh, addressed the concerns from their customers, but uh, it ended up causing a lot of work on the back end. Another compliance issue that we see often is understanding 
who's responsible, who's on the hook. And really that comes down to who's doing what. And so we talked about some of the difficulties earlier related to peeling back the layers around who's helping you pr pr provide your services, provide your objectives, and really deliver the components of your business or organizational goals. The difficulty with that is, is we talked about is who who's helping you do that? What is the entity? Who are the people? And understanding who's responsible for each of those functions. Whereas to say that, hey, this server is managed by somebody. When we say that, are we talking about all different aspects of the server management? Does that include patching? Does that include updates? Does that include security, compliance? And so the, the concerns cannot always be uh, fully encapsulated in there. There may be shared components and shared responsibilities, and that's where the difficulty comes through achieving compliance is understanding who's on the hook, who's doing what. And that really comes down to the clearest way to achieve that is through sometimes a literal matrix. It's literally making out a chart, a matrix, and writing out for these different components, these people are doing X, these people are doing Y, and we're all sharing aspect Z of that. Right, and that's probably a practice that not a lot of companies have that uh, automatically. I mean, that's a that's an advisory role that, that you guys are saying, you know, there's, there's the cloud, there's the server, but there's about five or 10 different layers under that that you need to understand, right? I think so, and I think, I think Kyle would, would echo this, that, that a lot, oftentimes it seems simple when you look at the deliverable. It literally comes down to a piece of paper with a, a kind of like a child's star chart for doing your chores, <laughs> that it, it's a, a grid or a matrix, and inside of that we just have a list, a simple list of who's doing what, and at the end of the day, that looks very simple, but the implications behind that and the meaning behind that are, are vastly significant and ultimately go to compliance initiatives and, and who's really driving something. And, and it's like he said, it's not, that's not an easy effort to do. Um, it takes people, the smartest people in every department and, you know, from IT to legal to HR. Okay, what, what do we have? Where is it? What is it doing? And then it's taking, you know, um, looking at your your uh, your contracts, your um, third party agreements, and saying, okay, what does it say they're responsible for? What is it? So, what are our responsibilities? And so, mapping that out, it's it's a it's a huge exercise, but it's immensely beneficial from a compliance and just overall good hygiene and security practice. Another thought with the shared responsibility matrix that we were talking about is the what happens when multiple people are doing multiple roles. And so the consideration around that, rather than just checking the box that both sides are doing that, the other goal for a mature responsibility matrix is understanding who's driving an initiative. A lot of times everybody's willing to participate, but we just need to initiate a particular activity. And so sometimes that happens with events that are happening on a, on a periodic basis, where they happen, have to happen every single quarter, but we just need the, the initiation to stem from or come from a particular party to, to get that ball started and making sure that we do something within the quarter. And then usually the, the come behind response is for these other parties to participate in whatever that compliance activity may be. But making sure that we achieve that particular activity in the, in the specified time period. So you've talked about uh, a few instances where uh, situations have come to bite the client in the butt. Let's hear some horror stories about uh, what can go wrong. So one, one of the worst ones that I think echoes strongly with me and I think that, that we oftentimes share with service providers or people who say, you know, who really wants my data? You know, a lot of times when we talk about compliance, we're also talking about security and a lot of times people say, well, as long as it just works, I'm, I'm fine with that. Or I can live, there's a high tolerance on the other 
other end of the particular business owner or the person who's driving these types of initiatives. And one story that comes to mind is a few years ago when ransomware was kind of picking up, there was a concern around somebody who was using a, a cloud-based provider. And as part of that, the, the compliance program was not necessarily transparent about what was being done from that cloud service provider. This particular service offering, we'll call them Smith. Smith was using a cloud service provider. We'll call them Kyle. <laughs> but Smith was using Kyle as a service provider and they didn't necessarily dive into what, what that other end was doing. And so with that, the uh, service provider had a ransomware issue. Now ransomware falls outside of compliance. That's a security event that nobody can necessarily predict. However, a compliance program is usually a good indicator of the good security practices that are being performed for an organization. If you have a particular event like that, you can oftentimes address it, look back on what was done inside of the environment, what control measures worked, what control measures didn't work, and you can fine tune the process to make sure that you're always maturing the overall security posture of a particular organization. Unfortunately, in this case, the type of damage that was done from this ransomware security event, it locked up pretty much everything that was necessary for business operations. And really what happened with that was that the backups were so efficient that they backed up the problem as well. And so now we have both the core production copy that's being locked up. We also have the backup that is inaccessible. And ultimately and unfortunately, this, this service provider decided that it was un unfeasible on a go-forward basis to do business. And so that this was the first instance that I remember working through that, that it was a, the viable alternative was to shutter the business doors. And so in some cases where people talk about, oh, we had to pull all-nighters and we had to bring in all these extra costs and specialists and all sorts of things, ultimately business goes on. This was the really the first case that, that I believe we'd experienced um, that we'd heard of closely that business did not go on. And ultimately, and unfortunately, that, that business closed and it affected several of its end users. They were no longer able to access the resources that they had provided to that, that particular entity. So yeah, there's a, there's a going concern issue with compliance. And so a lot of times, if, you're not, if you don't have these best practices, um, you know, like Trip mentioned, you, you could go out of business. And so there's, you know, because of ransomware and some of the other things, there's cyber insurance has emerged, but um, oftentimes still that's not enough because, you know, yes, there's a financial aspect of some of these, um, these, these data leaks, these hacks, um, but it's more so your reputation. Um, and, and that's often more valuable than money. And so once you lose the, you know, your customer's trust, um, it's, it's game over. And I think that obviously the, the instance that we provided is, is a large extrapolation of what can go wrong. Um, and that ultimately th these concerns are, are real and that there has to be a little bit of a scare factor there just to make sure that everybody's leveled the playing field and we're talking apples to apples. But honestly, understanding what, what an entity is using would have been the easiest case to fix that particular instance. And so in this case, while, while it's a scary situation, had some shared responsibilities been mapped out, had a understanding of what components were being utilized and where uh, trust was being placed, had been made uh, more visible to the end users or the consumers of that service, people may have made decisions differently. Well, you start to allude to that, uh, that there is a little bit of a scare factor there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what's on the horizon or, or what are some of the positive developments that are, that are down the road? I think the largest thing is, 
you know, over the last few years, you've seen kind of a, a turn and, and companies are now more focused on compliance and be more transparent with their customers. Um, and so instead of just doing these things out of contractual requirements, they're, they're, they're issuing reports, they're getting third parties to come in and evaluate um, their environment uh, for, as a competitive advantage. And then you're seeing them be very transparent on their website. Um, it says, you know, we're, we're compliant with these 20 or 30 regulations, these, these certifications. Um, here's your responsibilities, here's our responsibilities, and it's all very open and transparent. And so um, I think that's a good thing for, you know, companies that are looking to move to the cloud or transition from one service provider to another, that it's just, it's, it's, it's more visible than we've ever been. I think additionally, consumers have felt inspired to take a more investigative approach. Whereas a lot of times people would say, ah, oh, well, I just trust that they're doing it. Or they have such a big name that I, I have to assume that because there's thousands of other customers, surely somebody has asked. Where now everybody is being encouraged, motivated, sometimes required to ask their own individual questions. And a lot of times that's driving individuals to develop their own compliance program with that. And so as everybody's asking these questions, the expectation that it's okay, that it's normal for individuals to be asking these questions has somewhat been normalized as well. It's been expected also by the service providers. And so with that, we've also seen a turn to, Kyle alluded to the competitive advantage that service providers have by building compliance in by design. And a lot of times people are, are monetizing, they're building it out, they're marketing it, um, specific environments that are designed to meet a particular regulation such as HIPAA health, regarding health information or PCI regarding payment card information. There's whole environments and service offerings that are being developed to meet and achieve these particular requirements that customers, consumers may have that ultimately drive service providers' number of offerings and their profitability as well. I think there's also another piece that, that's on the horizon. That there's, there's this sense of a, a preemptive nature to this. There's almost an expectant nature uh, on both sides. And so we, we talked about a, a briefly about the discussion that's, that's to be had, but really one of the key things is that the lines of communication have been opened. And that, that sounds cliche, but when, when both sides expect a conversation to occur, when you go to negotiate the price of a car, they, for all, all purposes, both sides know there's gonna be a discussion around price. It's not just, hey, this car is $50,000 and I'll take it and I'll drive off the lot. There's usually a discussion around price. And oftentimes we, we look at that and know that that's a conversation that's going to come. We, we expect it, we prepare for it, we design around it. Mm -hmm. With compliance and cybersecurity and, and cloud considerations all playing into that, we're seeing these discussions being had at all different levels. It's not just the IT people. It's the marketing people need to be under, understanding of what we're selling the salespeople have to make sure that they don't overpromise or overdeliver a particular service that's not going to be compliant for a particular consumer or provider's functions. There's a lot more discussion happening before the ink is dry is what we say. Oftentimes we see that compliance is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. After the, the deal is done, then we have to figure out how to get this particular service offering or requirement or product compliant with XYZ standard and that's being baked into the beginning of a lot of deals now. Well, I mean, with compliance and cybersecurity, uh, it seems like then that's a good, this is a good momentum that people are kind of getting more into the practice of being more transparent, asking about things and understanding what all the different components of your security plan or your compliance plan are. Uh, do you see that continuing though? Like 
do we anticipate that there is going to be just a better understanding from the consumer and from the business side about what type of compliance they are controlling and they're managing and what the importance of it is? I think getting more people involved in discussion is always a great thing. I think that as we have further discussions about this, we see those shared responsibilities being worked out. The more that people are willing to discuss about it, the more they're willing to hammer out the details and make sure that we've got the who's who and the what's what worked out to make sure that everybody's doing the right amount of work and that the the work is aligned for the strategic strategic objectives that are necessary for compliance and ultimately for the organization's goals. The concern that I have also is is always that compliance does not equal security. And so the kind of the the question for the horizon, the the what's off in the distance is 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 always the fear that, oh, well, because we were meeting XYZ standard, why did we have a data breach? Why did we have a particular security incident? How could we still have this? I thought we were compliant with ABC standard. And and that's the next thought that I want to make sure that people are connecting the dots on and really envisioning that just because we're meeting a particular standard, we have a great compliance program, does not necessarily mean that we're immune to a security event. We have to have diligence and other security controls in place to make sure that a, a security program is both aware of and functioning properly beyond just compliance. And you made a good point about it maturing too, that, I mean, this, this you know, the, Cybersecurity is developing and advancing, and it's faster than you know than the compliance people or the, I'm sorry, the security people can keep up with. So, maturing along with what's happening on the horizon, right? Yes, um, all these examples of you know uh, data leaks that we've seen over the last several years, all the big retailers, you know, at one point in time they were compliant with whatever regulation it was, PCI. You know, they they had a secure cardholder data environment at one time. Where it comes down to is they didn't have uh, the mindset of continual improvement, continuing monitoring. And so it's, it's very much an evolution. It's not, okay, let's get through these 10 steps and we're done. Um, it's, okay, we're back, you know, we're through uh, the 10 steps. Now we got to go back to one and, and re-go, you know, go through that process again. And so it's, it's very much continuing, continual monitoring and continual improvement. The other thought with continuous improvement is making sure that we understand back to the components that are then the visibility piece. Oftentimes, compliance programs are driven around a set of scope in a particular environment. And so when we're talking about compliance with standards, a portion of an entity may be compliant with a particular standard. However, as an attacker, I'm not necessarily concerned about what, what was the pretty buttoned up front customer facing portion. If there's a literally back door into the system, that may be the easiest way to get in. And if the, if the, if the path of least resistance takes me to something that's not necessarily a production system, it's kind of a development or test system where security and compliance aren't necessarily focused on, that could still lead to a security event. And so it's making sure that as compliance matures, so does the overall cybersecurity program of an environment uh, matures on in, a, in a holistic manner that we're looking at all necessary principles and applying them to all of our assets. Well, Trip, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Thank Thanks, you. Shelby. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Subscribe and tune back in for more Weaver Beyond the Numbers.